0: Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook.
1: Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson.
0: And I'm Blair Cook. And today we have with us Ray Levitt, an experienced executive working with CIBC and PwC, among others, in various outsourcing operations.
1: Ray's background with these organizations, among others, has been on both the provider and buyer side of outsourcing
0: arrangements. And today, Ray's gonna talk to us about how CPAs and organizations should think about outsourcing and setting up outsourcing arrangements for success.
1: Let's listen in.
0: All right, we're back. And with me today, I have Ray Levitt. And Ray is talking today about outsourcing. And so we're going to explore and provide uh, our listeners with some advice around outsourcing opportunities and ways to approach outsourcing. So welcome, Ray.
1: Thank you, Blair. Good to be here.
0: Let's just start with some of the basics here and just establish a common understanding of outsourcing. And and what does outsourcing mean in in your mind?
1: Okay, and and I'm glad you started that, Blair, because I think... Language is important. Words are important. And I think it is uh, a word that is perhaps a little bit misunderstood or not well understood. And and perhaps that's because of, of some of the roots of outsourcing. But the way I like to think about it is any organization that chooses to engage an external provider to provision a service that it could optionally provision to itself is outsourcing. We may not call it that. But having chosen not to do it itself, to to select an external party who presumably is better at it, can do it better than the buying organization can, whatever better means, higher quality, more cost effectively, whatever better means, that's
0: outsourcing. So really, it's it's a strategic decision to address, you know, the fact uh, either economy or effectiveness uh, or efficiency, any of those objectives lend themselves to an outsourcing type decision.
1: And that's right. And, and you could you could choose to outsource for any number of reasons. So you mentioned one, cost-saving. Another is to make better use of, of capital, be it human capital or economic capital, to improve the service levels. There's any number of reasons that an organization might choose to outsource. And you use the word strategic decision, and it is a strategic decision, but you can also outsource things that are tactical as opposed to strategic from an operational point of view as well.
0: And I think in today's business world, what we're seeing more and more, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is that organizations are becoming more nimble and they're using outsourcing as a way of scaling their business model up or down to address whatever the, the market uh, is, is telling them, whatever indicators they're getting from the market.
1: I think you're, you're absolutely right, Blair, because what it, one, one of the things that contributes to that nimbleness is that you can often enter into an outsourcing agreement that is variably priced as opposed to it would be a fixed cost if you were to choose to do it yourself, provision it to yourself. And in a variable pricing model, that enables that scaling that you're talking about. Whereas if volumes are scaling up or down and you're provisioning it to yourself, you probably have to adjust your costs up or down. And if people, for example, are a big part of that cost base, that scaling becomes can become problematic for for obvious reasons.
0: Sure. And I think I could ask you a question. I could say, what sort of things are being outsourced today? But it's almost, in my mind, it's almost easier to ask the question, what sort of things would you not outsource today? I think you're right.
1: I think it is easier to ask
0: that question because
1: it's a function of what's the organization. So, what is, let me use the expression, non core? not part of how I define myself as an organization, not part of how I differentiate myself from my competitors, might in fact be your sweet spot. That might be exactly how you differentiate yourself. So I'm happy to outsource it to you. You're not gonna outsource it because that is in fact your competitive advantage in the marketplace in which you
0: operate. So to begin with, why do we even contemplate outsourcing in the first place? That's a great
1: question. And unfortunately, at least historically, I think too many organizations have approached outsourcing without asking that question. So in my judgment, the key is to think of outsourcing not as an end, but as a means to an end. So the starting point in my mind is always, what problem or problems are you trying to solve? And then once you have a good understanding of the problem or problems you're trying to solve and how you're going to measure success based on whatever solution you choose, then you can start looking at the different options to solve that business problem or those business problems. Outsourcing might be one of them. That's when you start to look at, does it make sense to outsource? And once you contemplate outsourcing as a possible solution to that business problem, then you can go through the thought process that says, is it part of our core business? Yes or no. Are we compromising our competitive advantage or our competitive differentiators if we do outsource? And if the answers to those are no, then we can start to go down the path of, of in fact, looking at an outsourcing transaction. But in my mind, it always starts with what problem or problems you're trying to solve.
0: And I think probably most organizations today have some sort of outsourcing arrangements, whether it's for a payroll service. That's a very common place people start with. But what are the more the newer areas of perhaps outsourcing that people are starting or that you've seen in recent years?
1: You know, I don't I don't think I mean, you're right, it's evolved. And I think you know, we'd be hard pressed now to identify a business function that somebody hasn't outsourced depending upon what their core business is. So, you know, if you go back to the early 1990s, which is Kind of the time frame that I think of as uh, you know, for lack of a better expression, let me call it the start of the modern outsourcing industry, yeah. which was when the large IT infrastructure deals were done. So obviously it was IT, what you know, the infrastructure that in those days ran in the in the air-conditioned rooms on on the raised floors. But since then, you know, so from from IT infrastructure outsourcing to the outsourcing of application development and maintenance, still in the IT world, to business process outsourcing, where organizations are, as you mentioned, engaged service providers to do payroll, to do finance and accounting, payables, receivables, procurement, HR, logistics.
0: Yeah. And certainly, I know Jen, the business Jen and I run, we outsource a lot of our, our R&D or our product sure. development. Sure. You can outsource just about anything Absolutely. now to, to be a, a small organization, but with a team of service providers around you. And why do you do that? You do that because you've
1: decided that there is an external party who can provision that to you in one way or another, better, however you define better, better than you could do it for yourself.
0: Now, underpinning a lot of these outsourcing type discussions is this, this proverbial business case. And, and I'm sure you've seen many business cases throughout your career. What are the the good parts of the business case and the parts that often get overlooked?
1: So I think the right way to answer that, Blair, is to go back and look at what what business problem are you're trying to solve. So, so most often when we talk a business case, we're talking about what variable? We're talking about money. And so if saving money is the primary driver, two aspects of that. Are we looking to reduce operating costs? Are we looking to make more effective use of capital? And so if we're looking to reduce operating costs, then it's a matter of looking out, if you're the buying organization, three years, five years, seven years, whatever the duration of that agreement might be, and looking at what, what I think the industry refers to as your business as usual, go forward costs. Without doing anything different, what is it going to cost you to provision that service to yourself over the next three to five to seven years? If you can define that scope of work that you want done very well, such that a service provider can propose on it, then you contrast or compare the service provider's price for provisioning that service over the three to five to seven years to what it would cost you to do it internally. I think one of the key errors that buying organizations make, now now I'm going back in time, I think buying organizations do this much better today, is that they're not honest with themselves when they look at that three to five to seven year Cost to provision it to themselves. What do I mean by that? They might do a good job of, of projecting the operating budget, what are the people costs, the real estate costs associated with provisioning a service, but they might overlook the capital investments that they have to make to enable the people who would do the work to do it internally. So, for example, let, let, let's use the technology space. If you have to upgrade your computing capacity by 50% three years from now, then if you're going to compare your business as usual to an external provider, you better build the cost of, of capital to, to make that computer acquisition three years out into your business case. So I think the most important thing um, to your question about a business case is to be honest with yourself and, and really make sure. So why is, why wouldn't a buying organization be honest with itself? Because they, they want to keep their, their projection of their business as usual, their internal cost as low as they can, give the service provider line a sight to that and say, no, 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 you have to be better than that in order to win
0: the business. Mm. And so there's lots of examples out there of companies that have done outsourcing well, and there's lots of examples out there that, that have not gone as well. Agreed. And this particularly, you know, there may be somebody who's doing, you know, overseas outsourcing, and perhaps that has a negative impact on their customer service, Agreed. which reflects on their reputation. Agreed. What are some of the, like, how do we avoid that? How, how do, as a, an executive or a financial leader, how do we think about outsourcing? How does that get captured in the business case?
1: So let me answer that by talking to the first part of your question or comment, which, so why do things go wrong? I think there's, there's three key mistakes that, that organize it, and maybe more, but three key mistakes that, that organizations make when they embark on an outsourcing transaction. One is there's an inclination to do it fast rather than doing it right. And that often applies to the buyer as well as to the seller. So the provider, the seller, wants to close the deal fast. Why? So that they can show it in their contracted revenue backlog, and the capital markets like to see that. The buyer wants to do it fast. Now now I'm talking about the big kids, the executives on both sides. The buyer wants to do it fast, in part because of what I'm going to express as as key mistake number two, unreasonable expectations. Somebody has communicated that we're going to achieve 15% cost savings, Mm -hmm. so what executive doesn't want to realize those? as as soon as possible. So that's the the unreasonable expectations number two. And number three, the third biggest challenge I think is not spending enough time defining and then investing in and operationalizing the relationship management model or governance model between the buyer and the provider.
0: Now you've been on both sides. You've been on the provider side and the buyer side and uh, even, even the advisor side. Of outsourcing arrangements, and maybe again, getting I, I'm, I'm interested in touch, the the touchy-feely aspect of this, and what impact this has on the the organizations that outsource and their culture and their people, because again, you're taking a chunk of an organization and outsourcing it to you know uh, somebody else or even overseas or something like that. Is there a negative repercussion from those kind of decisions on the organization as it remains and how do you work through that
1: great question blair and you know that's a part of outsourcing transactions in fact what i'm going to call the human aspect or the human element of it that, that I was perhaps most passionate about in all the time I spent in the outsourcing space. And it's hugely important, two different types of outsourcing. So if we were to turn the clock back you know, to the early 90s, which we alluded to earlier, when a lot of outsourcing transactions involved a rebadging, And and by that, I mean, you and I were part of the buying organization, doing the work for the organization today. We engaged an outsourcer. We were, quote, in scope, unquote, uh, for, for the work being done. And we became part of the provider organization. So we went from, you know, we left work today as members of ABC Co., and we came into work on Monday as members of XYZ Co. So a couple of things to consider in that regard. I used to assert, still do, that, that we're all human before anything else, certainly before we're employees of ABC Co. or XYZ Co. If not communicated properly, what's the first thing that you and I think when, when our senior management tells us we're outsourcing this function? Our natural human reaction is, you're not happy with the job I'm doing. So you're going to engage XYZ Co., to do it for us instead. Now I get to XYZ Co, and, and XYZ Co is counting on me to deliver that service back to the organization that just left. If I've got this feeling in my tummy that says ABC Co wasn't very happy, they outsourced because they think I wasn't doing a good job, am I really incentive? Am I really motivated to provision the services as well perhaps as, as my new employer wants me to? So that's one aspect of the human aspect, or one part of the human aspect. Another is you're my coworkers are watching this very carefully. They're not in scope this time, but they might be in scope next time. And they're watching and talking to you and me, and they're watching very carefully to see how we feel we've been treated. If we feel we've been treated fairly and respectfully, and our personal and professional aspirations are taken care of, and our families are taken care of, they'll feel okay, neutral at worst about outsourcing. If on the other hand, you and I are moaning and groaning about how badly we've been treated and how you know we're, we've got lesser benefits in the new environment or it's gonna be terrible working conditions, or I really don't wanna do this, how do you think they feel about the organization going forward? So the human aspect, in my mind, is hugely, hugely important and has to be very, very well considered as part of an outsourcing transaction. A lot of the outsourcing transactions that are done today, and again, if you go back to our broader definition, which is any any buyer-provider relationship where, where you're providing me a service that I could alternately provision to myself, there might not be people in scope. People might not get rebadged. The people are losing their jobs because of an outsourcing, and let's think offshoring, for example, what was one of the big economic drivers of offshore outsourcing? It's labor arbitrage. The people in the remote location, be it India, be it the Philippines, attract a lower salary. The real estate costs are lower. So there's a, a significant labor arbitrage saving by moving the work to offshore resources. If that results in you and I losing our jobs, how do we feel about that? Equally, if not more important, as far as the the buying organization is concerned, how do our peers observe that? How do they feel about that? What does that engender in terms of anticipation, in terms of loyalty, in terms of all those things? So it, it is, you know, the, the mechanics of an outsourcing transaction aside, and by mechanics, I mean, you know, the scope of work, can the provider really do it better, however we find define better, the economics, the, the logistics of making it happen, the human aspect is top of the list in terms of importance.
0: Yeah, in terms, and certainly in terms of some of the challenges that you you could be confronted with which you know gives rise to the uncertainty if you are you know you're a, a controller or a chief financial officer working in a company or a nonprofit organization they've been asked to consider an, an outsourcing arrangement how do we how do we do our due diligence on outsourcers
1: inadvertently or otherwise you've you've asked a, a great question and 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 in bringing in the phrase how do you do your diligence, your due diligence? Due diligence is a hugely important part of an outsourcing transaction. And it's typically the provider doing due diligence on the buyer. And by that I mean is you've asked me to to outsource a scope of work. I want to make sure I really understand how you do that. Not so much how you do the scope of work, but the business outcomes of that scope of work are, what the service levels are, what the scope is, what, what outcomes have to be achieved. And the buyers are very, very good at doing that due diligence. Why? Because the solution that they put together, the cost of the solution they put together, and therefore the price, are predicated in large part on how well they do their due diligence. Every bit as important is for the buyer to do their due diligence on the providers. And perhaps not so much now, but certainly in the, in the, the startup days of the outsourcing industry, I would assert that buyers didn't do enough due diligence on the providers.
0: And providers would say they could do just about anything. Thank you.
1: And and the more well-known the brand was, the provider brand was, the more inclined the buyer was to accept that they could do whatever they said they could do. And so, you know, I think it really is incumbent upon the buyer to, again, go all the way back to the beginning, what problem problems are we trying to solve? And, then, and whether it's it's by engaging an advisor who can help them become an informed buyer or making sure they become an informed buyer on their own, being able to construct the business case, being able to construct the governance model, being able to construct the contract, and being able to, to really do their due diligence on the prospective providers that they would entertain.
0: That's excellent. I think that's a good summary of everything we've covered in today's podcast. Excellent. Ray, thanks so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Blair. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpaCanada forward slash podcast.